mission. How can we be a gospel community on mission? And that's really the key to how we thrive in the Christian life and in, in the, the world that we live in, in the climate of our culture, as things seem to get darker and our nation um, rapidly becomes more and more uh, post-Christian. I don't know if you can increase in being post-Christian, but we seem to be. Uh, we could become more and more post-Christian. And as Christians, you feel more and more marginalized and feel more and more like we're just kind of pushed off to the side of the culture. And Christianity, you don't, we don't have a voice in the nation and in our um, community like we, we thought. And when Christians step up and expect and kind of assume that they should have a say and a rights and, and, um, and a voice, we find out really quickly that, that the tide has turned and that it's, things have changed. But I don't know that that's all bad. I think and the reality is, is the times that the church grows the most um, around the world is times of persecution and times when, uh, when we don't have, uh, we can't just assume that we have a voice in society. But the bigger issue is I think we're very confused about what the purpose of the church is. What, who are we? What has God called us to be about? Um, in fact, that renders the question, well, how do you define the church? We talked about last week that um, if, if we were to... If you're to invite somebody, if you're to talk to somebody about the Lord out in the community, even today, and our, this is changing, but, but today I think you still find people when you say, you know, hey, what do you think about God? What do you think about, and, and if they have any kind of spiritual background, they're pretty quickly in that conversation, more often than not, will say, you know, I really need to get back in church. I really need to get back in church. Well, I'm not involved in church as much as I used to be. And the assumption is that if, if I'm going to pursue God, I need to get back into church. I need to go to church. Church is the place we go to. So what, what defines a church in our, in our culture? And that's the first kind of question I have uh, up there on the screen there. What defines a church today? For most people, it, it would be buildings. Buildings define the church, right? Uh, we would say, well, church, that's a place you go to. That's a place you, that people meet at the church. In fact, when we came to start uh, Cross Life Church, and even today, we still, um, eight months or a year really, into this journey, we still have people ask, why are you starting in a church? Man, we got plenty of churches. And what they mean is there's plenty of buildings around town that have steeples and that, that um, are you know, places of worship for Christians to go. There's plenty of churches. We think of them as buildings. We think of churches as programs. You go to church today. Well, that, that translates into, and I got programs. I got something I got to go participate in at the church building. Or some people have been called the church house. Or I love it when you're a kid and people said, don't run in the house of God. You know, it, we have all these different phrases we've used and different things we say that there really doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit with the true definition of what the church is. We have completely confused people in the, in the world on what is the definition of the church. It's not a building. It's not a program. We look at churches' structures, or we look at churches, you know, um, who's the church, or what is the church? Well, church is a thing that they have, um, they have pastors, or the church has deacons, um, and often it, you either have kind of deacons are the thing at the church, or pastors, the church, but they can't coexist. Pastors and deacons, kind of like oil and water, they just don't really mix really well, and so deacons have lots of jokes about pastors, pastors have lots of ways to make fun about deacons, and there's this conflict between, but, or you might have elders, you might come to a church that has elders, and so ch- churches defined by programs, church defined by buildings, churches defined by its leadership, there's a lot of different things that define a church in our, in our, in our culture, but to the average Joe, church is something you go to whether or not you go or not, right? Church is something you go, whether you go or not, it's something you go to. Um, in, in the South, again, it's, it's a place um, in the Bible Belt. It's, church is not just the place you go to. Church is the place you ought to go to. 
That's the bigger thing. Church, you really should go to church. I really ought to go. You ought to go. We ought to go to church. And while that's not a bad thing, that's not what the church is. Turns out the idea of the church as a place is a foreign concept in the Bible. Church is not a building. It's not a group. Uh, The church is not a, a building, but it's a group of people who gather for worship, teaching, community, and scatter on mission. God has a great plan for the church. In fact, as we've looked over the last several weeks, um, kind of here, here's how things have built out in 1 Peter and what we've learned in the last uh, several weeks going through 1 Peter. We looked at, um, in 1 Peter 1, how God addresses the church, the believers, the called out ones, and he calls them, he defines them as exiles and sojourners. We were reminded initially, and we were reminded in chapter 1, that, that we have become, uh, that our citizenship is not in this earthly world, but is a heavenly citizenship as believers, as followers of Christ. And God has called us to be, caused us to be born again into a living hope. It's a direct quote from 1 Peter chapter 1. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope. So we have this incredible salvation where God has called us out of darkness into the light, caused us to be born again into a living, which means a sure, confirmed, like real deal, complete, Completely, we're confident in hope. And that's, that was our first thing. And then it, we went on a little further and he starts talking about suffering. And if, if necessary, you go through various trials, which means if you go through certain trials, it is necessary because God wouldn't allow you, cause you to go through a trial that was not sifted through his purposes and plan for your life. And if you're going through trials and tribulations and challenges, which you will, some because of oppression, some because of just we live in a fallen world where there's problems and we don't have perfect bodies and there's sickness and disease and people do crazy things like walk into schools and harm innocent people that are helpless and unable to defend themselves. We live in a broken, messed up world. But when you go through trials and tribulation, understand that God would not allow that to happen in your life if he did not want to refine you and reshape you into the image of Christ. And if he didn't have some way of, of turning that into um, a way that he can display his glory and his worth through your life. God's going to use it. We, Romans 8, 28, we can, we can cling to that. Even when we don't understand, we can cling to that, knowing that that verse that says um, that God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We can rest in that, knowing that somehow, even if I don't see it this side of heaven, God has a purpose, God has a plan. He's going to work this out to his um for his glory and, and for my good. So I can rest in that. So we looked at the greatness of our salvation, that how God uses suffering. We looked at the fact that, that he is building us into a living house of, made up of living stones. Each of you over a living stone where God's spirit indwells you and together we come together to, to build this uh, tabernacle. This, that, it's not a place, but this building of living stones scattered all over the world that make up the body of Christ, make up the what you might call the church invisible. And so we rested in that. We, we thought about that last week as, as um, we were reminded that through all through history that God has manifested his presence various ways as he did it through a cloud by day, fire by night, manifested his presence in the temple, the tabernacle, then the temple in the Old Testament where people could come see the one true God and learn about him at the tabernacle and then at the temple. And then in the, in the New Testament, he manifests his presence through um, an infant child, baby Jesus. And as Jesus grew up, 
he, Jesus said of himself, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And we're told in Colossians that the, the um, manifold, um, that all the, the, the greatness of God dwelt in Jesus. How amazing is that? And so God has manifested his presence through Christ, but then after Jesus died, buried, resurrected, goes to be at the right hand of the Father, sins, and then sends the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell believers, and now God is manifesting His presence, not through a cloud, not through fire, not in a tabernacle, not in a temple, not in a geographical location, but in the hearts and lives of His people. And so God is manifesting His presence through most, if not all of us in this room this morning. And and so what does that look like to the world out there? Well, it looks very confusing if we say the church is a building because God is not manifesting his presence now in bricks and mortar and in geographical locations. But he's manifesting his presence through the people of God. And that's where we left off last week. And then we want to talk a little more practically about that. And a little background of 1 Peter. Um, within the most of the writings of Paul, what you have in Colossians and Ephesians and Galatians, is usually the first half is very theological and the second half is very practical. And in Peter's writings, what he does is he gives a little theological truth, and then the next chapter, the next section is practical, and then theological, then practical, then theological. He kind of has this rhythm of going back and forth through the book, and we're at one of those practical points where we're going to look at um, this this morning. And here's the, here's let me just read this passage to you, and then we'll uh, we'll look at it a little more deeply. Uh, this is in First Peter chapter two, verse eleven. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. Now he just came up, just following up, uh, these verses are following up Jesus explaining that, that, or God explaining through the Apostle Peter that, Jesus is the cornerstone. Remember, we talked about the fact that he's building this this building of living stones all connected to the cornerstone. So we are connected to, we are squared up with Jesus. He's our cornerstone. And if we build our lives on anything else other than Jesus, we're building in the wrong place. We need to connect our lives to Jesus, build, and the church needs to be built off of Christ. He's got to be the center. He is the head of which we are the body. Okay? He is the groom of which we are the bride. He is the body. We are the body of Christ. He is our head. So he is our pastor. He's the chief shepherd. He's the, he's the focus. He is the center of all things. And, and according to Colossians, he has been given preeminence. He's before all things, and all things are for him. So Jesus is the center of everything. He's the cornerstone. Now, some people are going to stumble off the, over the cornerstone into judgment, and, but hopefully um, we will stumble in repentance and then in faith and then be built into this awesome living structure that God is building. And, and then he goes on to say we're a royal priesthood. And we are a, uh, listen to this description, it's incredible. You are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. This is to you, to me, to us. A chosen race. We are part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And again, I read to you, 
verse 11, based upon this, beloved, beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good works and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Now, before we go into those verses any deeper, I want to um, we're going to have a little seminary class, if that's all right, for just a couple minutes. And we're going to talk a little bit about what the church is, because I think it's important for us to pause and not assume that we all understand what. Now, I've already said excessively already, the church is not a building. I think we've gotten that. Church is not programs. We've gotten that. I hope you've gotten that. You say, well, what is the church? What do you, how do you define the church? So I want to take a moment and explain a little bit about, about the church. Let me give you couple thoughts. First of all, we have the visible church, we have the invisible church, we have the local church, and we have the universal church. Okay. Church visible, church invisible. Church visible, okay, is is also otherwise known as the local church. Now local church is made up of, of people that profess their faith and trust in Christ. Uh it, and it's a group of people that that may or may not all be believers. Now I know you this can be incredibly shocking to you, but most churches, most local churches their whole membership are not really believers. You say, well, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. You're telling me that in a local church that, that there's people in there that are members of that church and they're not believers? Uh, more likely than not, yes. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if we were to look at their lives, their marriages, their families, their work ethic, their, uh, we look under the hood of their lives, you would find that there's very little difference, if any. And more importantly, if you look at the motive behind why they do good things, often they're caught up in, in uh, moralism and legalism. They're thinking that if I just go to church and I do this because my grandparents, my grandparents, grandparents, grandparents did this, church is the thing you ought to do, remember? And if I do all this stuff and if I'm a member, then I'm in. And the only, way to, the only thing that you have to do to get into heaven is to join a local church. That, that's what they think, and that's just not true. So all those that are part of the local church aren't necessarily part of the invisible or the universal church. Now, the invisible church is made up of only those who have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ. The invisible church is made up of all those who authentically have relationships with Jesus, um, have been uh, born again into a living hope, okay? There's nobody in the invisible church that is not legitimately followers of Christ. Nor are there anybody are, are there any people in as part of the universal church that are followers of Christ. So, well, universal church, what is this? I don't know what kind of church background. I, in seminaries, I'll tell you this: there's a lot of debate over people. They get in a big deal. Is is the, is the references to the church in the Bible? Are they referring to the universal church? Or are they referring to the local church? In the postmodern world that we live in, most young people, which we're blessed to have several twenty uh, somethings, thirty somethings, as part of cross life. And we're blessed to be very cross-generational also, so we're thankful for that. But of the 20 and 30-somethings, what is true about your generation is that you tend to be radically individualized, and you're kind of charting out your own path. Generally speaking, um, 20-somethings are charting out their own spiritual journey. And so the thought of a universal church is a very appealing thought, that I'm part of the universal church, which means I don't really have to commit to any local group. I can kind of do my own thing, and I'm good. Well, that's a problem because... Out of the many, many uses of the word ecclesia, church, in the New Testament, 95% of them are references to a local group of believers. 
the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, the church at um, Colossae, the church at Galatians, the churches of Ephesus. Occasionally, there are references to a universal church, like in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. It says, the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed through the church, universal, to the principalities and rulers of the air. Ephesians chapter 3, verse, I think clearly that is not a local church. Clearly, that is the invisible universal church. Does that make sense? Let's think about this a little further. You are part of legitimate faith in Christ. It's awesome to think that we are part, big or small, in a local church, part of believers all over the world. I love to worship in um, other countries and have the privilege, if you ever had the privilege to be on a mission trip and to be in another land and hear people worshiping with a different tongue and singing songs with different rhythms, and you can just, but you feel so close to them, and man, we're just, there's a common, I don't don't know what they're saying, but I know it's about Jesus, and so I'm with them, and man, we're worshiping, and we're connected, we're listening, and I I just, you just sense the presence of God in their lives, and you can have more commonality with with a believer from another country with a different language than often you can have with your own family if they might be apart from God. Or your friends that you might have that don't have a relationship with Jesus. So, so to, to think that we're part of a universal church, that's an awesome thought. That the church invisible is far bigger than anything we'll ever see. There are people that have lived, there's 2,000 years of people, in fact more than that, but since Christ, we'll just say. Since the church was established, the, the universal church inaugurated um, Pentecost, you might say. Since that point to now, we have hundreds of thousands, millions of people who have followed Christ. That's incredible. It's an incredible thought. That's awesome. But practically, how does that work out? How does that flesh out? God is not, God is very specific in the New Testament about emphasizing the fact that he is intended for legitimate believers to be plugged into local churches. Let me define that for you. A local church is a community. If you want this definition, you can email me later. I'll be glad to email it to you. Local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, they gather regularly for the preaching and worship, and they observe the biblical ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. They're unified in the Spirit, and they are disciplined for holiness, and then scattered to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great um, Commandments as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy now let me go back over that local church is a community of regenerate believers who confess jesus christ as lord first and foremost a local church is a group of people who are regenerated uh, in other words they they have new life to be regenerated is to is to have a new life they've repented their sins and they've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life they have a relationship with christ that's why at cross life we don't do what i've been in many churches with good intentions we don't have an invitation at the end where you come forward and you fill out a card and tell us you're a christian and then we just, okay, that's great. And, and then before the last song is over, we present everybody. It is our new members, and they're in. Okay? Because we want to know about what's going on in your journey. It's not because we're trying to be mean and we're trying to cut people off. Or, but we, we want to get to know you. Because as a pastor, for that matter, I understand the fact that one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my life and for my family and how I lead my family and for you. And I have led the people that God has brought to Cross Life Church. David Fields and I are going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to give an account for the people that God has entrusted to us and how we have um, 
led them. And if, if we have led you to believe that walking down an aisle and filling out a card makes you a Christian, I do not want to stand before God and him say, you know what, you made a bunch of people think that they are, have relationships with Jesus just because they're plugged into their members of your church and they don't, they're don't. they not on the roll. I don't know them. And they're going to hell and you certainly didn't help things. I don't want to have that conversation. So I'd rather sit down with you and hear your story and I care about you enough that I want to hear your story. I want to know what's going on with you. Not because we're trying to be elitist, not because, but because... I want to know what's going on in your life. And I, and I want to share with you what God's doing in my life and has done in my life. And we want to share that in commonality with one another. And, and we want to help each other as we, as we are working out our salvation in fear and trembling. Okay? Now, I don't mean to say that we're trying to earn it. That's not what that verse means. But as we're growing in our understanding of how God has saved us and is sanctifying us, we want to do that openly with one another, helping one another take steps in growing in Christ. Does that make sense? All right, so that's one of the things. We want to be regenerate uh, believers who confess Jesus as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. If you, you have a, a group of guys that are, um, you know, you know that, that play World of Warcraft and um, sit in their grandma's, you know, or mom's basements, you know, playing video games all the time, and they gather for a Bible study once a week, are they a church? No, they're not a church. A church is gifted with qualified leadership. And if it doesn't have qualified leadership, it needs to raise up qualified leadership. So what is qualified leadership? Well, the Bible gives a lot of specifics about um, what qualifies a pastor, elder, bishop, same thing, three different words, explain the same person. But they need to have qualified leadership. That's, that's one of the traits. We can talk more about that later. They gather regularly for preaching and worship. The fact that we're gathering is part of what God has commanded us to do, to come together for the preaching of God's word. You say, well, I don't really like the gathering of the preaching of the word. And there's a lot of people today, particularly, you know, younger um, postmoderns who say that we really shouldn't gather and somebody preaching the Bible to us is just kind of uh, so old school. We should come together um, and study the Bible and all pull our ignorance and share with what does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? And stand around and have a little Bible study like that. And that, that, that's the church. We should all learn from one. There should be nobody teaching. God teaches us. We don't. Well, while I don't understand why I would or why you subject yourself to having to listen to me, you know, for 45, give or take, minutes, um, you know, on a weekly basis, why any of us would sit under the preaching of the word. In fact, the Bible calls preaching the foolish, calls the foolishness of preaching. It's just crazy that people, but it's so gospel-like. You know, what, what happens is there is a point where we should sit under the preaching of teaching of God's word, where God's word is taught to us and we subject ourselves to it and it is proclaimed to us and we don't do anything. We just receive. We just listen. We just soak up. We just learn. We just grow. So I feel like I need need to do something. Well, it's kind of very gospel-centric to not do something sometimes. I mean, you're saved because Jesus did something, not because you did anything. Jesus just did it, and you, we reap the benefits of him shedding his blood and, and dying upon the cross and the resurrection, and all of that is how we're saved, is by resting in what he's done. And preaching is the proclamation of the gospel and the illustration of the fact that we just receive what God has done. Now, we certainly want to go out and apply that, but it begins with just sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word. Not only do we do that, 
Not only do we um, gather for the preaching and for worship, we want to reflect upon as we sing songs. This is an opportunity not for us to go, you know what, I really don't like this style, or I, I would prefer this kind of style, or I like the music louder, I like the music softer, I like the words this, I like the words. The, the, the point is for us to come together and to look at and listen to the words and to think about and to commune with God and to respond to God, to respond to what he's doing in our hearts and lives. To worship is uh, mind's attention, heart's affection upon Jesus. And by the way, it doesn't last. It doesn't just, it's not just limited to four or five songs on Sunday morning. Worship happens on Monday morning. Worship happens throughout the week. Worship should be going on all the time in our lives as our hearts, affections, and our minds are surrendered to Jesus. And we think about Christ and we fellowship with other believers. We should worship throughout the week. It should be a way of life. Life surrender. That's what it means to be a living stone, is to be giving up lives that are, that are, are known through, uh, identified by living sacrifices, daily surrender to christ singing is just one of the ways we worship it's a great way it's an awesome way it's just one of the ways but we gather for preaching for worship and then to observe biblical ordinances god has ordained for us to do a couple things to uh illuminate the fact that we are the people of god what is that well baptism is one of them we dunk people to picture the death burial resurrection of christ so we do baptism that's one of the things he's commanded us to do the other thing is the lord's supper so when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we come together and we, we do it in worship. And that, that's one of the things that, that illuminates. It's, it's not meant for people seeking, learning about Jesus. It's meant for people who know Christ. And it's to illuminate those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And so they, they remember the death, burial, um, resurrection of Christ as they remember his body being broken, his blood being shed. And so that's part of the church. So local church, community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scriptures, they organize under qualified leadership, gathering regularly for the preaching and worship, observing the biblical ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. We are unified by the Spirit in our discipline to holiness. This is where we go from, from meeting in a corporate sense to meeting in life groups, where as we come together in life groups, there's unity of spirit. Unity, we minister to one another, we take care of one another, but there's also a discipline of holiness for one another. See, this isn't a little, another dirty little secret, probably not the best way to gather a crowd, but, uh, but if, if you subject yourself, and we're in the process of establishing membership for Cross Life Church, but if you subject yourself to the membership of Cross Life Church, understand that you have raised the bar on accountability, and now you have subjected yourself to, uh, we have subjected ourselves to one another in that. So that means that if I have, am in sin, in my attitudes, my actions, in my words, in my life, and whatever, and you observe that, you are obligated out of love for me to point that out to me, lovingly, graciously. And I, likewise, must do that to you. Now, Jesus gave instructions, was very specific on how you do this. In fact, the way Jesus did it is so often misrepresented that it is the most quoted verse in the Bible now. He said, with John 3, 16? No, that's, most people don't know that verse anymore. It's, uh, Judge not, lest you be judged. That's the most quoted verse in the Bible now. Judge not, lest you be judged. If the point of, the, of that verse is if, you're, um, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, okay, you observe a speck, don't just go and pull it out. First, look at the log in your own. Judge not, lest you be judged. Most people stop there. What he goes on to say is take the log, take the log out of your own eye, the beam, literally, is what he's saying. There's a beam in your eye, and you don't see it, but you can see that little speck in your friend's eye. <laughs> There's a lot of humor in that, in that analogy by Jesus. So deal with the log in your own eye so that you would be able to deal with the speck in their eye. 
First, take the log out of your eye. Then you can help them. Then you're positioned to help them. So when we live in community with one another and we're unified and we're disciplining one another and ourselves for holiness, and you see me as the guy that is constantly trying to be introspective and inviting other people to give me some self-awareness to point out the log in my own eye, and you hear me repenting of the logs in my eye, then you're going to be a little more open to me pointing out the little speck in yours, right? And, and if you're constantly trying to deal with the log in your eye, then you can, you'll be in a position, and I'll be more open to you dealing with the speck in my eye. So Jesus is giving a prescription for how we have personal holiness and we help other, one another be spurred along towards godliness. Does that make sense? Beautiful um, thought there. So we're unified by the Spirit, disciplined in holiness, and then scattered to fulfill the great commandment. When you leave shortly from this place, you have not just clocked out and church is over. Church is just shifting to phase two. Okay, there's two phases of which the church functions. There's church gathered and there's church scattered. And then at next week, we're going to gather again and then we're going to scatter but we're always the church. We're always living stones connected to the chief cornerstone. Whether we're scattered, whether we're gathered, we're living stones. We're part of the church. Does it make sense? We're part of the local representation and local manifestation of the invisible church seen through Cross Life Church as a visible church. And so as we scatter, what do we do when we're scattered? We do three things. Three things we're commanded to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, Spirit, right? We're, we're supposed to love God. Secondly, we're going to love one another. Great commandment. Love God. Love one another. And thirdly, we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. We're going to make disciples. That's what God's called us to do. So we are passionate about knowing Christ, about growing in a relationship with Christ, and about making disciples. Another way of putting that is merely our definition of discipleship we operate under. Jesus said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. We follow Christ. We're people who are following Jesus. I will make you. We're being changed by Jesus. We're on mission with Jesus. Following Jesus. Great commandment. Being changed by Jesus. We love one another unconditionally. Treating one another as we would want to be treated. And then on mission with Jesus as we serve the lostness of our community and of the world. God has called us to be about. And so we're scattered to do that. Here's the deal. You, you don't have an option. You say, well, I don't really, I'm not really called to that. I mean, I'm called to, I mean, God, Jesus called me to be a believer and I'm, I'm, I want to join a church. I want to be a part of a local church. But I don't, I'm not, God didn't call me to be a missionary. Oh, he, he did. He did. No, he didn't just call you. He commanded you to be about that. You're commanded to be a part of the church gathered and then scattered. And we do that every week. We're gathering, we're scattering. You, when you leave this place, you leave on mission. You leave on mission. That's, that's what God has called us to do. And in fact, Jesus, uh, the, the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus, the birth of Christ, is the greatest testimony of this. The Word became flesh and dwelt in our midst. And we beheld His glory, glory of the only begotten. Think about that. The Word became, the Word Jesus became flesh and dwelt in our midst. Literally, this is what it means. Jesus put on flesh, God put on flesh in, in, in Jesus, and moved into our neighborhood. That's what dwelt in our midst means. What, what, what do you think you're doing where you live? You are the word, Christ being manifest in you, is God moving into your neighborhood, your neighbor's neighborhood. 
Okay, God has placed you strategically in the families, in the workplaces, in the schools, in the um, neighborhoods, at the banks, at the restaurants, at the you know places of service or um, you know businesses that you get involved in through throughout the week. He's placed you there to be the word on display. Now, I don't mean to say that you're Jesus by any, but Jesus is manifesting His presence through your life as the church scatters every week. What an incredible thought. So that, that's really the point of this passage. Uh, let me give you one last thought on the church d- definition. The local church is a congregation or gathering of regenerated believers that function as the body of Christ, of which Jesus is the head, displaying the glory and wisdom of God to his creation. The church is unique in its message, which is the gospel, and its marks, which are the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper, And it is the only institution entrusted by God with the message of repentance of sins and belief in Jesus for forgiveness. Boy, what an awesome thought. The church is unique in its message, the gospel, in its marks. And we are the only institution entrusted with the message of of salvation. So uh, Richard Stearns, in an article, Goodbye Christian America, he said this, Christians can stop worrying about symbols of the decline of Christian America and get back to the mission Jesus gave us to show the world a different way to live, a way that demonstrates the great character of God, his love, his justice, his compassion, his forgiveness, and his reconciliation. I'm telling you, there is nothing as attractive as when believers say, you know what, there's a bunch of folks in Africa or South America, whatever, that are drinking dirty water. And that's just not good enough in the world we live in. We need to do something about that. We're going to start to try to collect some money, and we're going to go make sure that there's a well for those people to have clean water. Let's do that. Or, or you know what? There's some people oppressed and in sex trafficking in Tennessee, much less in the United States, much less all around the world, and that's just unacceptable. And we're going to do something about that. So do you want to come join? And when I go to my lost neighbors and I say, you know what, we're having this freedom climb thing. We're going to do a run for the freedom climb and we're going to be participating in this. And I just want to invite you to come and and be a part of that. You know, and and it's what is that about? We begin to tell them that, man, who who is not moved by that? Who's not who does not go? Wow, that is unbelievable. Yet stuff still happens today. Yeah, it happens. And we're doing something about it. You want to come join us? Sure. We'd be glad to come. He said, well, you know what? We're having a church service Sunday. You want to come to our church? Mm, not so much. We'll pop you some popcorn. We'll give you some soda. I mean, we, that, we might need to do that. But, but you know what's more compelling than that? Come join me as we're making a difference in the community that God has lead. Come, come join me. So you want them to come participate? In the, they're not even Christians. I know, isn't that great? That God would bring lost people along the side of saved people, that they would do things that are really cool together, like Operation Christmas Child, take a bunch of little Christmas boxes to give to kids all over the world for the proclamation of the gospel. And yet there's school systems okay, that, 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 will, in, that will join in on that. How awesome is that, that, that secular businesses, that unchristian leaders in, the, in our culture are more than excited to be a part of that. Let me give you one last illustration of what this looks like in Johnson City, in our community. There's this uh, court thing that they're setting up called the Eco Court, I think, or something like that, Environmental Enviro Court, I guess, where if, if, you, if your yard's all nasty and you got, you know, your, um, you know, grandfather's, you know, pickup truck still out there 
with um, grass growing up around it and whatever, you're hurting the value of the other homes. And you need to do something about that. And so the city is going to put a ticket on. They're going to call you to court and they're going to call you to account for the fact that your you know, roof is hanging off or your yard's all jacked up and you need to do something about it. You say, that's so mean. Well, whatever. But when you come to court, they're going to determine whether or not you need to do something about it, whether you have the means to do it. And you say, you know what, I, I want to fix my gutter and my, my roof that's, that's messed up, but um, I can either fix that or I can feed my kids. And I've been feeding my kids. I'm really sorry I haven't been able to fix my roof. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, okay, I want to connect you with this organization. Um, you have one month to get with this organization, and they will help you fix your roof. And, and they're going to go to this organization. That organization is going to go to local churches and other um, nonprofits that, that are organizing themselves and looking for opportunities to serve. And they're going to come to Cross Life Church, and they're going to say, hey, this guy's got a messed up roof. Can you guys fix this guy's roof? And we're going to say, you know, we don't have the resources for that. Or we're going to say, yeah, we can, we, can, we can fix that. We can do that. And we're going to come, and we do that. Why do we do that? Because we want to be the word made manifest, and we want to move into the neighborhoods that God has placed us, and we want to show the glory of Christ just by serving people freely. So that person is either going to be given some time to connect with somebody like us to help them, or they're going to determine that they have the means and they just are lazy, and then they're going to be held accountable that they need to fix their, their, their yard or their whatever. But if it's because they don't have the resources, now, now we have an opportunity in partnership with our government, can you believe it? Believers have the opportunity to be involved with what is going on so that we can minister to people to declare the glory of Christ to our community. Does that make sense? Now, this is one example of which there's a thousands and God has is dispatching you. You're commissioned to leave the service in a couple minutes to go out in search of opportunities to love people for the gospel of Christ, to have the opportunity to share, to illuminate the glory of Christ. God has called us to be sojourners and exiles, and there's three implications to this. Here's the three implications. My citizenship is in another city, my time here is limited, and I live by a higher law. Basically, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Two different words, and basically what they mean is they, they teach us these three things, that my citizenship is in another city. You, you say, well, I, I mean, I, I've just got too much to, to do here, and I'm so involved, and my, my life is so... You don't even live here. I mean, you live here, but that's not really your home. You need to wake up to that. You say, well, I was born here. It's my birth certificate says I live here. I'm supposed to live. No, if you've been born again into a living hope, your living hope is in an eternal city, a heavenly city, and you need to start living for that city because that's really where your citizenship lies. And so you're here uh, for a limited period of time. You're just here for a little while. I don't know how long that is. I mean, hopefully it's a, a while, but, you know, it might not be. I don't know. I mean, we live in a crazy world. It's fallen, stuff happens, I don't know. But hopefully, Lord willing, you'll be here for a long time. But it's still a long time in, in this world is a very short time compared to eternity. So you're limited here. Yeah, I mean, you got, what, what do you got, 70 years, you know, 50 years, 20 years, whatever. Let's make the most of it. Let's live for the eternal city. And, and understand, you said, well, well um, I don't know, what, what are rules that we live in our society? I mean, we're the, you live by higher law. You live by the law of grace. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And we are called to live that and flesh that out in the world that we live in. And so he gives us two points, and that's it. And I'm done. Two points. Fight the flesh. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. A lot of people say, well, that, 
Let go and let God. Well, God is going to, he's working, but you partner in, with him and, and understand that the Bible very clearly communicates that we need to wage war against our flesh. We've got to fight that battle. Okay, it's not going to happen accidentally. You're not going to fall into personal holiness and godliness. Okay, you're going to have to make deliberate choices of what to, you know, what input you allow into your life and what you do with your hands, your feet, and your eyes, and your mind. Okay, you have to make choices. And you need accountability, and you need community, and you need encouragement to make good choices. You need to be in fellowship with the Lord so you make wise decisions because junk in is going to be junk out. But if you're constantly nourishing yourself in the Word of God and walking in the Spirit, then man, the only thing that's going to come out is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all those things. So you have an option. Fight the flesh, or, or the Puritans would say, kill the flesh or it will be killing you. So let's just say fight the flesh. And the, and the, the last thing is we need to watch our ways. Fight the flesh, watch your ways. What, what is watch your ways? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Be careful how you function in this society. Like when David and uh, Adam were driving on Tuesday and um, just minding their own business, getting off the exit off of 26 onto uh, State of Franklin, and some lady comes around them honking her horn and saying a bunch of things and telling them they're number one, you know? And, um, and she cuts him off and keeps driving. And they're, they're like, what? And Adam's waving, thinking that, like, you know, it might be something he knows and they're being friendly. He's like, hey, you know. And, it, and evidently he did something to make him mad. And uh, all they knew about the person as they were driving off, they saw their 88.3, you know, Christian mu- you know, music station bumper sticker. Watch your ways. Watch your ways. Be careful because you give a witness, whether it's a good or bad one, you're witnessing all the time. People are observing your life. Watch your ways. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Be real careful around lost people. Make sure that your conduct is honorable. Why is it that we judge the outside world for their sin and their wickedness, and yet we're afraid to talk to one another about personal holiness? When the Bible says, talk to one another about personal holiness and stop judging the world. They're lost. What do you expect them to do? They're going to live like lost people. Get over it. You know, start living like godly people and so that there is actually something to be on display for the lost world to see that there are people that live differently than the world. And then your testimony of your love for one another, your care and concern for one another, and the fact that you live among lost people in an honorable way will display, God will manifest his glory through you, the church. And that's the plan. So that when they speak of you as an evildoer, in other words, they, they, they get mad at you because you don't do the stuff they do is really the point. Not that you are doing evil, but that you, you're evil because you don't sin like they sin. And so they make fun of you. They're going to see your good deeds. You know what they're going to do? They're going to glorify God on the day of his visitation, which ultimately means on the day of which he brings salvation. They're going to go, man, thank you for being different. Thank you for not joking about the thing. Thank you for not being like the hypocrites or other worldly people. Thank you for being radically different. Thank you for being real. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for letting me into your life when I was dangerous and gross and messed up. But you let me into your life to do life with you. And, and you didn't judge me for my stuff. Thank you for that. And because of that, they're a completely different person. That's what God has called us to do. The word is uh, made flesh and dwelt in our midst. And God is calling us to move into our neighborhoods to display the light of the the marvelous light of the gospel to the community around us. Here, here's the question. Just, what about your life gives a compelling reason for someone to consider Christ? 
What about your life gives a compelling reason for someone to, to, to be interested or open to Jesus? What, what are the areas of your life that are distinct from the world? And what are the areas that, that look too much like the world? How are you being shaped by God's word, his spirit, his people, his purposes for your life? How are you being shaped by those things? And are you, are you busy, are you too busy to develop meaningful relationships with those far from God? Are you too busy doing stuff, good or bad, that you don't have time to develop some meaningful relationships with people far from God? These are important questions for us to ask. God, would you just uh, put your light on our hearts that we would see who we really are so that we could see who you really are so that you can make us who you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.